Shane Claiborne graduated from Eastern University and did graduate work at Princeton Seminary. In 2010, he received an honorary doctorate from Eastern. His journeys have taken him to some of the most troubled regions of the world, from Rwanda to the West Bank, and he's been on peace delegations in Afghanistan and Iraq. Shane joins us today on Let the Music Play. The Christian community is, is really what it's about, is surrounding yourself with people who look like the kind of person that you want to be. The community is about creating that gravity and that peer pressure towards good, you know. So if you want to be more generous, you hang out with generous people. If you want to be a little bit more of a risk taker, hang out with people that, that are daredevils and they stretch you, you know, they push you. So that's why community has been at the heart of what I've been doing. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Let the Music Play. I'm so excited today. Uh, We've got a gentleman on the podcast that I have um, admired from afar. Uh, He has done amazing things with his life. He's gone uh, across the world with uh, mission and message. And um, I don't want to give it all away before we get going, but uh, you've got an incredible individual that's joining us today. That's Shane Claiborne out of Philadelphia. Shane, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, man, it's good to be with you. Great to be on the show. Well, uh, this is going to be fun. Uh, it's it's always fun to have a, a fellow Southerner on here with a little little uh, Southern draw. So y- you and I may get carried away with one-liners and and sayings before uh, we know what we're doing, but we're going to have a lot of fun. Yeehaw, man! <laughs> Yeehaw! Yep. So. so uh, I, this is kind of how I wanted to begin this dialogue. So for, for people that don't know anything of Shane Claiborne, um, they, they're they new to you. They don't know your work. They're not necessarily familiar with your mission. Uh, someone's a stranger and they walk up to you, Shane, and they say, Shane, what is it that you're doing with your life? How, how what do you have an elevator speech? Do you have a, where do you go? How do you answer that? Well, I, I guess I'd start by saying we're even because I don't know anything about y'all either, you know. But I, <laughs> I think, like, for me, what happened is I fell in love with Jesus and I, I really started reading the things that Jesus said in the Gospels. And uh, it, it it recalculated my whole life, you know, mm. uh, and... and I'm still figuring that out. You know, I, I, a lot of times I joke that there's people that say my life was such a mess and then I met Jesus and everything came together. And I, I'm more like the guy that says my life was pretty together and I met Jesus and he messed me up, you know, and I'm, I'm still like uh, the things Jesus said, like the, the last will become the first, you know, the first will be last and uh, the mighty will be cast from their thrones and the lowly are being lifted up. Like, mm-hmm. it's a very different trajectory than the <laughs> dominant patterns of our world, you know? Yeah. So I heard, a, I heard a pastor say, if you find yourself climbing up the ladder of success and status, uh, be careful, because on your way up, you might pass Jesus on his way down. <laughs> and uh, I think that, that's really... Uh, uh, been true for me, you know. I've been trying to figure out what uh, what would it really look like if we read the words of Jesus and said, "What if He really meant that stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, how would that change things?" And Jesus said, "You know, some challenging things like that. We're to love our enemies. Mm-hmm. We're to 
uh, uh, sell what we have and give it to the poor. We're to live like the lilies and the sparrows, which means not worrying about tomorrow and not stockpiling for the future. And, you know, I, I this, this, so I'm, I'm figuring it out. I've been doing that here on the north side of Philly for about 20 years. Well, figuring it out. I love that. Seems like that. That was a long elevator ride. No, that, that was uh, good. That know. was beautiful. That was that's just what I needed. Um, wow. So, um, a, I love that you're still figuring it out. Um, that that there lets me know we're brothers. Um, that we don't have this thing pinned down. We're still in the journey and figuring this thing out. You have, uh, you quote people a lot. You quote. You know, of course, Mother Teresa, Dorothy Day, St. Francis, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, who, who are some of these wisdom heroes uh, that you're consistently going back to reading, rereading, and learning from? Man, there are so many, but you're right. I I love, like, there's a scripture says there's nothing new under the sun. You know, I think there's a lot of people that have uh, been... been uh, saying and living beautiful things, so we got a lot to learn from them. And for me, uh, some of those have been folks like Mother Teresa and uh, Martin Luther King and Dorothy Day, Saint Francis, uh, Francis of Assisi, um, and uh, Dr. John Perkins, who's an incredible brother. He's still alive. He's a, a, a legend, you know, the civil mm-hmm. rights movement. He's yeah. been kind of a mentor. He's like 85 years old or something now. We wrote a book together and stuff. But he's a great brother. Uh, and then, you know, there, there's a, a Tony Campolo, who's a uh, sociologist and a uh, pastor. He, he's been a good friend of mine for all, a lot of years. So, yeah, man, there's a ton of them. So I, I quote a lot of people because I've learned a lot from other people. And you know, some of them you've had on your show, friends of mine, folks like Richard Rohr and um, Rob and other folks. So, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of good folks out there. Yeah, yeah. A- absolutely. Now, one of these in particular, Mother Teresa, I-, I-, I want I want you to share with our listeners your story of how you guys got connected, because it's, it's beautiful how that went down and how the story ended up unfolding. Well, sure, she was alive when I was in college, and the great thing about being you know, 20 years old is no one's convinced you that anything's impossible. So we, we, we decided we wanted to learn how to follow Jesus and especially, you know, Mother Teresa's idea that we're, uh, called to the forest of the poor and we're, we're called to, you know, really, uh, care about those who have been marginalized. And so we, we wrote her a letter and said, you know, we'd love to come work with you in Calcutta, India. And we, prayed, sent that letter off, and we never heard back. But that didn't stop us, because we were, you know, you're young and stubborn, so we just started calling nuns on the phone, and so we got one that would give us a number for Mother Teresa, and we called it, and she answered the phone. You know, she's like, I'm calling from a pay phone, putting quarters in, like nobody's business, you know, like I'm, we're calling from the pay phone, and it's India, so it was like, you know, a lot of quarters, and so I called, and then she just picked up the phone, hello, you know, and I thought it was, I got the wrong number, so I said, oh, I'm trying to get a hold of the nuns in Calcutta, Mother Teresa and the sisters, we want to come work, and she says, this is Mother Teresa, I'm like, awesome, you know, and uh, and so we, 
I asked her if we could come work with her, and she said, yeah. And I asked her what I thought were logical questions, you know, where we could sleep and what we were going to eat and all that. And she just said, God takes care of the lilies and the sparrows, and God will take care of you. Don't worry about any of that. You just come over here. So <laughs> we did. You know, we lived an amazing adventure. We were over there for, I, I went with some of my college friends, and we stayed as long as we could, really most of the summer, about three months, and uh, worked in the orphanages and the home for the dying, Mother Teresa's first home, where we would bring people in that were dying on the streets, and um take care of them and love them and hold their hand, massage their muscles, you know, and uh, every day, uh, inevitably, some of them would die, and um, and that, that was a holy place, you know, mm. so I, I did, learned a whole lot of things in India, but one of the things I learned in India was one of great Mother Teresa's great lines, she said, you don't go, you don't have to go to Calcutta to find Calcutta, uh, yes. Calcuttas are, ev- are everywhere, if we only have eyes to see, so wow. find your Calcutta. And I uh, came back, you know, really commissioned, uh, you know, to, to do that same work that Mother Teresa uh, did in India to, you know, do it right where we are, right here in North Philly. And, and one of the things that she believed in was we can do no great things, but just small things with great love. What's important is not how much you do, but how much love you put into doing it. Mm. And, and that's really what uh, we formed our vision around here in a simple way. Uh, which was to love God, love people, and follow Jesus. And that's what we've been doing for 20 years. So let me get this straight. You, you're you in India on a payphone. You're dropping quarters in a payphone, calling nuns. <laughs> you eventually get Mother Teresa on the phone. You work hand-in-hand with her in her shadows. She says Calcutta's everywhere, and you commission back to the States to find your own Calcutta in Philadelphia. Yeah, well, to be honest, when I got to India, it wasn't that uh, uh, extraordinary, actually. Yeah. Like, there, there were hundreds of people from all over the world that uh, went to India to work with Mother Teresa. And, you know, she was uh, there often. And I, when I met her, I didn't really have too much to say. I was like, thanks for your life. Thanks for helping us get here. We're ready to work, you know. Mm-hmm. So we... and. Uh, but she she's one of those people that I I really admire for a lot of reasons because she she you know really believes that our best sermon is our life mm. uh, not not you know something we just say with our mouths but something we we live uh, God's love in the world and I heard someone say one time that the the, the gospel spreads best not through force, but by fascination. Mm. And I think a lot of times Christians have been very forceful with our Christianity, but we haven't been all that fascinating. Mm. And you look at someone like Mother Teresa, she's fascinated the world with God's love. And she was imperfect, you know? She was uh, had a deep loneliness. She had all kinds of things. She, you know, she was an imperfect sort of work in progress, too. But... Uh, it's it's when you see folks like Mother Teresa, you see what we're all capable of, which is to fall in love with God and allow it to transform the way that we live in the world. Beautiful, beautifully said. Um, so you come back twenty years. This is twenty years ago, um, and you start something 
you're the founder of this thing called The Simple Way. Um, hold my hand. Walk me with what is happening. Uh, how did it start? What was the idea behind it? What What is The Simple Way uh, that you, you've led now for 20 years in Philadelphia? Well, we started it together, and I always say I'm a co-founder because we, you know, we're a group of us in, in college that we were inspired by Mother Truth, but we were also inspired by the early church. Mm-hmm. And in the book of Acts, uh, in the New Testament, um, in the second and fourth chapter, it talks about the early Christian church, and it says all of them were together, and they shared everything they had. No one claimed any of their possessions were their own. Uh, and it says that there were no needy persons among them, because they would take uh, what they had, and they would put it at the apostles' feet, and they would distribute it to people as they had need. Uh, and it was just a, an amazing vision, and it says they met in each other's homes, and they worshipped, and you get this vision of a church that's lived out of dinner tables and living rooms, mm. and that's what we really set out to start. Um, and we had a lot of great models for that, certainly you know, Mother Truth and the Sisters, but we looked at uh, the Catholic Worker Movement and intentional communities all over the country, folks like uh, Koinonia Farm down in Georgia, mm-hmm. where uh, black folks and white folks were living together in the middle of segregation long before the Civil Rights Movement, you know, and uh, but we're convinced that we're, we're brothers and sisters, so we're not going to conform to the patterns of uh, inequity and racism and segregation, but they live together. So all these communities kind of, you know, we can see the fingerprints that they had on us. And we pulled our money together and we bought a row house here. Uh, that's where I'm, you know, calling you from today. And, um, and But now it's turned into more of a village. So we've got about a dozen properties all in the same couple of blocks. We've got gardens and murals and after-school programs and folks that come and know that they got somebody that cares about them and they, you know, we give out food and all that stuff. But we also, I think one of the things we also uh, do is we care about uh, injustice. And we see sin uh, is something personal that is in us, but it's also something social in our culture and in our society. So uh, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, uh, it's, the, the, the kingdom of God was the same word that, that was used for empire, the empire of Rome. So when Jesus is using this language of kind of like there's a new regime, you know, there's a new uh, dream that's coming. And so what part of what Jesus teaches us to pray is that, that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. And we're praying that, we're seeking that every day, you know, on our block, in our city, but that also means recognizing the things that aren't in line with God's dream or God's kingdom. So, you know, things like one kid a day, one person a day almost is shot in Philadelphia. And uh, the, the, the gun violence that's epidemic in our country, where, you know, gun deaths are at 30,000 a year, over 90 a day. Uh, in our country, so we care about that because there's names and faces. You know, it's not just an issue to debate. But Papito was a 19-year-old kid that died on our front steps. You know, we've we've seen uh, this, so that's something we care about. Um, we care about uh, uh, not just giving people food, but also asking why are why people are hungry to begin with. You know, why Philly has 
more abandoned housing than we there are homeless people, and yet there's a 10-year waiting list for, for affordable housing. So all those things are also a part of our work here at The Simple Way. Uh, so we, you know, we've got programs and all that, but really at the end of the day, it's relational work. Yeah. It's uh, loving our neighbor as ourselves, which means uh, trying to figure out how we can we can build a neighborhood that we're all proud of and see God's best for our city. Well, you, you've said once before that, that you hit a point to where you, you started uh, or you wanted to quit complaining about the church that you didn't see and, and you become the church that you always dreamed of. Did I say that right? Yeah, yeah. Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. Yeah. And I, I think we, we also say we need to be the change we want to see in the church. And the best critique, as our brother Richard Rohr says, the best critique of what's wrong is the practice of something better. Wow. Uh, so, you know, I think that that's what we... We didn't jump ship from the church. We we very much believe in the church. We I worship in a local congregation here in Philadelphia. Uh, but we, you know, we also realize that a lot of Christianity has become very unlike the Christ that we worship. Uh, it, it was Gandhi that was asked, you know, they, they asked him about Jesus. He said, I love Jesus. I just wish the Christians took him more seriously. Uh, because so often Christians don't look much like the Christ. Mm. that they worship. So we, you know, as you, you look at some of the studies that have been done, like the Barna Research Group, where they went around the United States and they asked young non-Christians, what do you think of when you hear the word Christian? People's responses were heartbreaking. The number one answer of what young non-Christians said when they hear the word Christian is anti-gay, anti-homosexual. Mm. Uh, number two is judgmental. Number three was hypocritical, you know, and they went on to say we're irrelevant, we're prudish. You know, the things that people said uh, broke my heart because you look at Jesus and that wasn't what people were saying. You know, people didn't meet Jesus and walk away scratching their head wondering why he didn't like gay folks. You know, Mm -hmm. Jesus was known by his love. And that's the thing that he said they will know we are Christians by. You know, the scripture says they'll know that we are Christians by our love. And love didn't actually even make that poll of what people said when they heard the word Christian. So that, you know, that, that breaks my heart. And I want uh, a Christianity that looks more like Jesus again. And that's known not for what we're against, but what we're for. That's yeah. known not for who we've excluded, but who we've embraced and known for love again. Yeah, that's a good word. Man, um... So how would you define community? Uh, you, you've quoted Bonhoeffer before on this, um, being, you know, as co-founder of Simple Way now for 20 years. Have you been able to wrap your hands around a a definition that, that you can embrace of community? Well, community is, I mean, it's a word that gets a little bit thrown around, you know, it's a little nebulous, you know, to know when do you have it, when do you not, you know, but this is what I would say, is that Christian community is is really what it's about, is surrounding yourself with people who look like the kind of person that you want to be. There you go. They look like, you know, they remind you of Jesus, and they rub off on you, you know. Uh, we always hear about peer pressure as a bad thing as teenagers, you know, but I, I, I and it can be, you know, peer pressure can be a bad thing. But 
a community is about creating that gravity and that peer pressure towards good, you know. So if you want to be more generous, you hang out with generous people. If you want to be a little bit more of a risk taker, hang out with people that, that are daredevils and they stretch you, you know, they push you. So that's why community has been at the heart of what I've been doing. I went to Iraq and Afghanistan and India and all these places, but it was all in the context of community. And communities, uh, through the Spirit of God, of course, community is how we sustain the work that we do. So it's it's not surprising at all that Jesus said, where two or three of you gather in my name, I'm with you, that we're called to community. We're made the image of a God that reflects community to Mm -hmm. us, Father, Son, Spirit, you know. So um, even when the first human is made, when Adam is made, it, it... uh, humanity isn't pronounced real good until they're together helping each other, Adam and Eve, and the, the first humans are helping one another. So I, that that sense of community is what we're made for, what we're made in the image of. But we've become, we've come to idolize other things in our culture, like independence, you know, and individualism. And uh, these are not gospel values. The gospel values interdependence and community and actually meeting other people is a good thing. Not not codependence, but the fact that we're not loners in the world, but mm. that we need people to help bear the burdens with us. We need folks to help carry our cross. We need folks to celebrate life with. That's so in some ways I think we've got to um find community and build it wherever we are. So not everybody's going to move into a row house in North Philadelphia, but I think we can find groups of people that we are doing life with, we're sharing money with, we're worshiping with, we're, we're, and and we build our life around the people we live with. See, I I was in a cul-de-sac community in California where a cul-de-sac in this kind of suburban world that just started they said, we're not, not everybody needs a lawnmower and a washer and dryer and a car. We're going to start sharing together as a little cul-de-sac. And you need a lawnmower, you sign it out, and we'll do laundry together in the Johnson's house. And, we'll, you know, it's beautiful. So I think we can start to live in ways that are more sustainable for the world, but they also just give you life. Mm-hmm. We're, made, we're made to love and be loved and live in community. You mentioned sustainability, and um, this was one of the questions that I was really excited to hear your answer to. Um, How, what rhythms do you have built into your days and your month, and maybe even your year that that really keep you healthy at a soul level? Because I would I would imagine you're on the go, you're experiencing some of the highest of highs, some of the most beautiful things uh, of humanity. I would bet you're also seeing some of the the lowliest of low things that the human race is capable of. Um, and that, that can wear you out. How, what rhythms do you have to, to maintain, you know, body, mind, soul, and strength, uh, a peace and a balance? Absolutely. It was really out of that question that, and, and out of that yearning in our soul that we, we started the prayer book, uh, Common Prayer, uh, yeah. and we created that. So it has prayers for the morning and the midday and the evening. I do my best to try to keep those rhythms because they're, they're good. It's kind of like eating meals, you know, mm-hmm. or they're almost like a 
spiritual exercises for your your soul muscles, you know, and and I think if we don't exercise those, we get kind of uh, sloppy with our our, and we get we, we aren't as healthy as we could be. Yeah. So things like having a Sabbath day, uh, having times that we pray together, um, even things like fasting and stuff, those are all really important spiritual disciplines in the past, and uh, and are important for us and for me personally. Uh, worshiping uh, in a local congregation, that, that those uh, having those rhythms becomes really important. Uh, and and um, there's a reason I think that disciple has the same roots as discipline, mm. and it doesn't just happen to us. I think we have to be very deliberate to uh, uh, cultivate holy habits and to create rhythms that make it a little easier for us to be good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good good word, um, man. So you you've been overseas. You you're uh, you've been everywhere. You've spoken numerous places. Um, one of the things, uh, one of the frustrations I have is is how bad news uh, tends to be the news. Yet I know I know there's good good things happening around the world and and within your world. Um, for maybe some of us that haven't been around the world, haven't been in the areas that you have been, uh, is, there a, is there a theme of goodness in some niche of the world that you're seeing um, that, that isn't being talked about, that isn't being shared? I feel like it's always the bad stuff that, that gets all the, uh, all the press. Um, do you have any good news to report back on <laughs> from the front lines? Oh, there's lots, of, there's lots of good news, but you're right. Part of it is that there... There's the old journalism uh, uh, adage, if it bleeds, it leads. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that the horror stuff always gets the news, mm-hmm. the hatred hijacks headlines and all that. But I, there's amazing stories. We, we try to tell, I try to tell a lot of those stories in my writing. Um, and uh, uh, the, the, I mean, I'm just thinking right now, my friend Jeremy Courtney, who's in Iraq, uh, and he's been on the forefront of getting food into Fallujah, which is literally starving to death right now. They've got a group of there called Preemptive Love, uh, the Preemptive Love Coalition, and their motto is awesome: "Love now and ask questions later." <laughs> uh, you know, but they have doctors that are Iraqi doctors teamed up with international doctors, sort of like Doctors Without Borders, only they're they're creating. Uh, life-saving surgeries for children in Iraq, and they, they're doing amazing work right on the front lines. Um, I think of the opportunity around immigration and the refugee crisis, which yeah. there's the horrific stories of the child on the beach, you know, and these are stories that just haunt us. But there's also stories like when I was in the U.K., of a family that's taken in a refugee family. You know, there's an entire network of sanctuary movement that's creating space for refugees and immigrants, and that's a beautiful thing, and it, it just looks like Jesus, of course, as, as he says, if you welcome a stranger, you welcome me. If you don't welcome a stranger, you don't welcome me. Mm. And we hear a lot of other uh, really ugly language out there right now, and there's a lot of fear that's driving people, and that is one of the dangers, is that when fear drives us, we do really, really terrible things. Yeah. Uh, we create policies that uh, oppress people and hurt people. Um, 
and there's a lot of fear in the political kind of climate right now in the United States. Uh, but the scriptures give us this promise that love casteth out fear. Mm. And uh, so fear doesn't make much room for love, but love doesn't have much room for fear either. And the invitation of Christ is to live fearlessly. You have to live in a way that loves uh, uh, and, and takes uh, uncalculated risks for love, yeah. you know. And, and, and so I think that's a beautiful thing. And that's happening all over the world. It is a little bit like the the wheat and the weeds. You know, Jesus said the wheat and the weeds are growing together. So the good and the bad, it's all together. And it's kind of like, right now it sort of feels like someone's filled miracle grow on the whole blessed <laughs> thing, you know. But, um, but I, and I think we do see in our country in particular some really, really um, terrible expressions of, 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 of hatred and racism. But it's coming on the on the... Uh, on the, the backdrop of so much of this is Black Lives Matter and a racial justice movement and people, a church that's standing to the occasion of welcoming refugees and immigrants. And so uh, that, that's why I stayed centered on Jesus and saying, what, what does it look like to follow Jesus? And any political rhetoric, you know, we bounce off of Jesus. So uh, the, the question to me is, is uh, you know, how do I reconcile what, Donald Trump is saying with what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, or Hillary Clinton, or Kim Kardashian, or whoever. Like all these messages we hear in our culture, in the end, the sounding word is Jesus. Yeah. Love now, ask questions later. It's brilliant. That's a good one, huh? Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. Love it. Um, well, I've been doing a lot. I've been doing a lot of work on the death penalty in particular, and you know, it's a big deal. A lot of your listeners are national and international, but down there in Texas where you are, uh, this, is a, this is a big deal. I think every scheduled execution in this year remaining in 2016 is in Texas. Uh, but I'm, it's, there's only like seven executions that are going on this year, and, and everyone's too many. But I'm optimistic. You know, 80% of millennial Christians are against the death penalty, and only 5% of People in the United States think Jesus would be in favor of the death penalty. So I'm, I'm like, whether, what, no matter what the issue is, I, I think like the value of human life is something we mm -hmm. care about right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited to see a movement of Christians and others that their framework for a lot of these things is about the, the, the sanctity of life. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, to have a consistent ethic of life, that every person is created in the image of God. And whatever is destroying the dignity and life of other people is destroying a piece of God's image in the world. And that matters to God. It matters to us. So uh, that, that ethic of life is, is a framework for how I think about so many of these things, like abortion, but also like gun violence or Black Lives Matter or immigration or the death penalty. So I think, uh, you know, military service, all of that is, is under this idea of what does it mean to follow Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, and, and, and I think we need a renewed commitment of life, or some might say a, a new version of the pro-life movement in America. Wow. Wow. Well said. Um You've said before, this will intro great, you've said before that the problem isn't charity, but it's relational justice. Um, walk with me on that. What, what, 
what was the heart you were getting at in that statement? Well, charity, uh, ironically, I think charity can become one of the cheapest ways to love people because we can still do it at a distance. Here's a check. Here's some money. We can write a check to someone uh, or an organization. um, And, I I mean, I think that charity can be a decent thing. um, But uh, St. Vincent de Paul actually said this. You know, the great charity Vincent de Paul Society was named after him. And he said... When I go to the poor uh, to give food to them, I get on my knees and I ask for forgiveness Whoa. because I'm only returning what was stolen. That uh, it wasn't ours to move. Like God didn't make one person rich and another person poor, but this world so that everyone has this day our daily bread. So when we give food we should, or a check, we shouldn't, you know, go like uh, honking the trumpets and, you know, with a 10-foot check on the, on the TV or something. I think we, <laughs> we do that with the humility of realizing that that uh, we're just fulfilling, uh, trying to live into the vision of, of giving, uh, making sure everybody's got everything they need. But, you know, this the idea of a relationship is something altogether deeper and different. And I when I worked, I worked at a... a fairly large megachurch as an intern um, for a little while. And I did a survey, not just there, throughout evangelical uh, churches. And I asked these folks who self-identified as Christians. So these are folks saying, yes, I am a strong Christian. I asked them, did Jesus spend much time with the poor? And like 95%, almost all of them said, Jesus spent a lot of time with the poor. Later in the survey, I asked them, strong Christians, do you spend time with the poor? And it was only about 2% of these folks who considered themselves followers of Christ, but only like 2% of them said they spent time with the poor. Mm-hmm. That they had regular, uh, authentic relationships with people who were suffering. And I realized that the real problem isn't that rich folks don't care about poor folks, that rich folks don't know poor folks. Mm. It's a relational problem, not just a compassion problem. And that's why I think Jesus is very wise. You know, in Matthew 25, uh, in, the, in the story of when he did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. Every one of those is about relationship. Jesus yeah. says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me in. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. When I was sick, you took care of me. So all of these are relational acts. And that's that's the beautiful call, and and yet that's the thing that we avoid so much. You know, even if we give money to a homeless person, sometimes we give money because we don't want to have a relationship. We don't want to interact. We just want to give them five dollars so they get off our back. You know, but I think the call to Jesus is actually a call to love, and it transcends what we give. Uh, so that really, what's more important is is not what we give, but how much love we put into giving it. Well, what would happen if you asked their name? You know, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, to you, uh, and I know you've written on this, what's it mean, what's it look like to live as an ordinary radical? What do you mean by ordinary radical? I, I do embrace the word radical, but this is how I qualify it, is that, that radical uh, truly means root, like a radish. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it means that we're getting at the root 
of what it really means to be Christian. We're, yes. we're, we're keeping it simple and, 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 and basic, like the, the, the root of what Christianity about is about is to love God and to love people. And that all of the laws come summed up into this to love our neighbors or stuff. So I, I think of that. I think mean, it's also true. Mother Truth said, "Following Jesus is simple, but that doesn't mean it's easy." Um, and, and so I think, in some ways, to be to live that out uh, is a very radical call. Uh, if we really are trying to say, "What does it look like to love my neighbor as ourselves?" then we're going to challenge the status quo, uh, which is that in the United States we have about 5% of the world's population, but we're consuming 40% of the world's resources. The average person in the United States is using like the same amount as 500 people in Africa. <laughs> so what does it mean to love my neighbor as myself? It means I'm going to live differently. Uh, uh, they old say, live simply that others may simply live. Yeah. Uh, but it also means that I'm, I'm going to uh, 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 go at the root of what's creating uh, violence in the world, uh, and and uh, frankly, I, I think when we when we return violence with violence, we only add fuel to the fire, and we we continue to per- perpetuate a spiral of violence as we see in Iraq uh, uh, right now. We, we create such disaster, and, and Jesus shows us another way, you know, that we can. Uh, uh, interact with evil without becoming it. Mm. That we can love, you know, love uh, uh, in a way that is costly, uh, but also in a way that diffuses uh, hatred. Uh, and that's what Jesus does on the cross, even as he forgives those who are nailing him to it. What he's doing is he's, you know, he's pouring water on fire. He's just putting out hatred with love. Wow. Wow. So, uh, I have two little girls now, and they're three and they're five. And uh, when I read guys like yourself, and read, you know, wisdom literature, and um, dig down into this, and want to share these things uh, with them, even at a young age. In your interview with Krista Tippett, and I'm paraphrasing, but you basically said, you know, we don't need to be asking our children what they want to do when they grow up. What what we need to be asking them. And showing them is what kind of person they want to be that does whatever they choose to do. Um, and I think you even maybe said, you know, if, if we don't reach the next generation, it's it's not going to be because we didn't entertain them. I think you said that. That was a beautiful word. How, for those of us that are bringing up the next generation, how do we, with creativity, inspire and and really dare the next generation of human souls that are coming behind us um, to be image bearers, to be full of light, full of love, uh, and to bear great fruit. Yeah, as I think about young people growing up and, and all the time, you know, you get asked, what are you going to do when you grow up? Uh, I think that it's not the best question because what we're going to do when we grow up isn't nearly as important as who we are becoming. And uh, that's the work of spiritual formation, right? Is is becoming um, more like Jesus, really, that the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, those things can live in us, right? And then um, 
Uh, I, I think that's what we really are called to focus on. And sometimes the church has been more concerned with what people believe than who people are. You know, mm-hmm. so we like like to see faith. Like we aren't sent into the world by Jesus to make believers. We're sent into the world to form disciples, and that uh, what we believe is a part of that. But it also uh, should translate into a lifestyle, not just a doctrinal statement. Yep. Uh, and, and, and so for young people, I think that's what they're looking for, is, is something to live for, something that uh, they're, they're very aware that the world we've been handed is very fragile. Uh, and, and, and so then I think it's beautiful when we invite them to seek first the kingdom of God and where might they fit into that story. Yeah. There's a bigger story of what God's doing, and it's setting the oppressed free. It's it's uh, making sure the hungry are filled with good things. These are the things the gospel talks about. And blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And the peacemakers are the children of God. What does it mean to be those people in the world? So then you end up having folks that are asking a whole new set of questions. And uh, I like how Frederick Beekner says, so we've got to take our deepest passions and connect them to the world's deepest pain. Mm. And when we connect our skills and passions and gifts to the pain and the suffering of others, then we become a different kind of teacher. We become a different kind of carpenter or uh, a lawyer. You know, one, one of my friends, uh, Brian Stevenson, has been called by uh, Desmond Tutu, who's been called America's Young Nelson Mandela, because he's one of the best lawyers in our country. Hmm. Um, he's a freedom fighter. Uh, he went to the same college I went to, and then he went on to Harvard, graduated with honors. He's African-American, and so coming out of Harvard you know, with honors, he could pretty much go anywhere and name his salary. But where he went was very interesting. He went down to Montgomery, Alabama, to the thick uh, heart of where uh, so much of the brokenness of the criminal justice system continues to exist. It's one of the only places that uh, doesn't guarantee counsel for folks uh, on death row. And so so he became a pro bono lawyer uh, defending people for free on death row and people in racially charged cases that at times were found guilty just because of the color of their skin. And now he's been named uh, one of, uh, uh, the most influential people in America by Time Magazine. They went down to interview him. It was fantastic because he's like in a little one-room apartment with a soccer ball, and they're like, this is America's Nelson Mandela, you know? <laughs> and uh, they, they said to him, why would you be this kind of lawyer? And Brian said, why would I not be this kind of lawyer? Well. And I think that's what, what our job is, to raise up a generation that are not conforming to the patterns of the world, but are actually interrupting the patterns of racism and injustice and inequity. And so they're not going to the best schools in the country. They're going to some of the toughest schools in the country. You know, they're becoming lawyers that are... Uh, not just doing it for the money. They're becoming doctors that are going to Iraq like uh, with, with a preemptive love, and they're saving people's lives. So I, I think that's the real question uh, of vocation, yeah. um, uh, and, and that we need to raise our, our young people asking that question. It's a good word, really good word. Finish these sentences for me. Um, I know that. Gosh, these are these are like the riddles. Uh, uh, I know, 
I know that God is love, and and that's something important to remember today when there's lots of other versions and messages and books and sermons that wouldn't necessarily convince you that God is love. Mm. But Scripture says that, my experience tells me that, and everything I know about God shows me that God is love. Mm. And, Sp- uh, spoken and, like a and true so mystic. I, yeah, and I just <laughs> hope that, you know, that folks that are, are uh, maybe prone to give up on God, um, because Christians haven't always represented that love very well. Uh, will, will God will, will give still God, give God a chance because God's bigger than the mistakes and the embarrassing things that we Christians have done in His name. Well, the simple way allows us to. The simple way. I'm I'm, I'm like hoping I get the right answer on these. Like, or I'm, I'm, it's kind of like a test. You know? <laughs> but, uh, the, the simple way. I, I guess I would say in light of the world we're living in right now, the simple way allows us to live fearlessly, uh-huh. uh, to, to live without fear. Um, and, and when we get hit, we have other people that um, uh, protect us and carry that with us, and we are reminded that we're not alone in the world. And I think that's something that the world is really looking for, is the sense of uh, that, that uh, we're not alone. The good news is that God is with us, and there are other brothers and sisters that can bear these burdens together with us. Yeah. The world needs. The world needs you, I guess I would say. G.K. Chesterton once said, they asked him what's wrong in the world, with the world. And uh, his answer was often, he said, what's wrong with the world? I am. Well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like... And uh, on the one hand, I think God is healing all that is broken in the world, but God also wants our help. God wants us to join that movement and that story of redeeming and healing the broken things in this world. So I think we need to be people of prayer, and I think we also need to be people of action, uh, you know, that get up off of our knees and we, we actually do something about the injustices of the world around us. Yeah, yeah. And then full circle... Uh, love is. Well, there's a really uh, great text, you know, that says exactly what love is. Yep. And um, I, that those verses from Corinthians uh, of what love is like, you know, love is patient. Love is kind. It is not proud. It doesn't boast. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. And love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So that First Corinthians 13, I think if we also want to know what God is like, you know, that, 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 that you read that, and it's beautiful. And you also, you hear all the other political rhetoric and stuff, and um, is that what we hear? You know, and, and to me, that's what we're called to align with. That's what we're called to vote for and to vote our lives to is that love, which is patient and kind, and to reject everything else that is the contradiction of that. Yeah, good word. So Shane... Hey man, brother. Good to talk to you, man. Oh, it was awesome. If we want to learn more about what you're doing, read your books, follow uh, Red Letter Christians the simple way, how how do we find out about what you're doing? 
Yeah, man, folks can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. It's just my name, Shane Claiborne. Uh, and our website, Red Letter Christians, has a, just a ton of other really wonderful voices uh, of Christians trying to take the, the way of Jesus seriously. Uh, and uh, and then our local work here is the simple way dot org. Uh, so redletterchristians.org and the simple way dot org. Um, and, uh, and and my most recent book is Executing Grace. So uh, we want everybody in Texas to read that, but also everywhere everywhere else. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome, <laughs> man. Awesome. Well, th- well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much uh, for your good and necessary work. Uh, we're grateful for you, ma'am. Awesome. Love you, brother. Okay, Shane. We'll talk to you soon. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Shane. If you did, remember to share it with those you love and those you lead. Also, be sure to get online and support Shane in the mission he's doing in this world. And as always, as you approach this week, may you pause by the orchid, listen to the bluebird sing, and be loved.